You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. This morning's felt like a bit of a fever dream, Brendan. Woke up to the typical ban and suspended announcement day where my phone just had thousands of notifications. Not even that much of an exaggeration, to be honest. And just blurry-eyed, you know, just trying to read through, wade through what has happened with this ban and suspended announcement. Some pretty big changes, which we're going to talk about, of course, in the pod today. We couldn't let it pass us by. But yeah, I think you had sent me about, you messaged me on Messenger, Discord, snail yeah. mail telegram i don't know there was like i felt like i'd been messaged every which way to uh you know just throw the whole show notes out the window and and come and do this pod today well we're actually going to talk about a bonus and a restricted announcement on time and that has i don't think that's ever happened Hayden. i think we've been a week late every single time well i had in my notes this week hey let's go two for two on alice is making us making us look silly and let's let's speculate on what we think the banner suspended announcement will be because then obviously when we drop the pod they will have dropped their announcement about 12 hours before as per usual but of course this banner suspended announcement was pulled forward was scheduled for january 30th we are now talking on january 25th about four or five hours after the banner suspended announcement has been released uh and we're that's what we're talking about episode 94 of arsenal pass we're going to get into this banner suspended announcement it looks like a massive shake-up for class constructed one of the biggest bannings we've had i think we said this last time but there is you know, obviously a lot of impact to multiple cards across the classic instructor format, which we will get into. But Brendan, of course, beforehand, got to ask you, do we can flesh and blood or, you know, if you want to talk about anything else non-flesh and blood related before we dive headfirst into the band and spend announcement. Yeah. So honestly, Hayden, I'm, so we're pretty close to this marathon of February 19th and it, it's pretty tough. Like it's, the training is tough, obviously, but the, the hardest part is that it just dominates so much of my life. Like it's very hard to focus on other things or find time to do other things, especially on the weekend. Cause that's when my longer runs are, they take about three to four hours now. Um, I'm excited to get it done with because I feel like I, I feel like I can't seriously direct my energy and attention at anything else um, until it's done. It's, it just has such a hold over me at this point. The last, the last kind of four weeks of it are notoriously hard. They're just going to be very much of a grind. But yeah, didn't have time to play, unfortunately, this weekend because I had a few appointments on Saturday and on Sunday. I had to do my 17-mile long run, which took me you know, a lot of the day. So hopefully getting back into the saddle soon. But I've got one more super long run this, this coming weekend. And then I start um, pretty soon after that, I start what's called a taper, which is you kind of stop running um and very much lower your volume so that you run the marathon on fresh legs mm, makes sense well, if anyone has questioned your dedication to your first marathon you know having to miss miss out on the end of proquest season to do so is uh you know well i didn't get to play the fun proquest season now if i want to play i get to play this uh <laughs> well we'll talk about it <laughs> kind of meta that's been well no this this weekend is the same meta so just to just to clarify we'll get into obviously all the ins and outs the band has been announcing but it is it does not take effect until next week post the ProQuest mm-hmm. season. So if you are heading to ProQuest this weekend, status quo, nothing has changed. Bust out your Winter's Whales, bust out your Hypothermias and Amulet Devices, um, which I did on the weekend, Brendan. I went and played my last ProQuest of the season. Uh, only my second ProQuest, just playing two this season. Would love to have played more. I, every time, I always think, oh, you know, I don't really need to play them, you know, but any chance to play competitive Flesh and Blood, I think is just, it's always enjoyable, especially at, you know, sizable events with local community and, and things like that. So, Got off to a pro quest this past weekend, played Icelander, 
Uh, pretty pretty standard list, didn't really nothing too spicy. I played some this rounds on me because I expected a lot of buy and draw my, and I like that card to a degree in that matchup, and ended up top four. Uh, I so yeah, played Icelander, made top four. I uh, had a really good good time, and I wish I was playing a Proquest this weekend, but I am not. I'm not. They're not no none local, and I am not going to be traveling for a Proquest. So now just waiting until the calling Auckland, which is about a month away, and we have a new meta for it. So that is exciting. It means that there's going to be some interesting playtesting to be done in the lead up to that, and then of course, Outsiders coming shortly after that. When we jump into the news, Brendan, uh, we are going to talk more about the banner spin announcement, but that has obviously just dropped. Uh, so let's talk about some other news quickly before we get into that. History Pack 2 has been announced coming February 24th, uh, initially French, German, Italian, and Spanish. The packaging looks awesome on this. I don't know if you've seen what this looks like. It's similar yeah. to the art to History Pack 1 with the kind of, uh, you know, the figure looking at the wall of, of glyphs and text, uh, but it's been reimagined with these awesome colors, which looks super cool. So. Uh, one thing I did no. note on this is no marvels. In no this. marvels. That's what yeah. I was gonna say. No marvels. <laughs> it's a yeah. It's a obviously the first history pack was quite a chase a chase product because of the marvels. Um, I think without the marvels, while it is disappointing, I know to some people it will probably put the product closer to where it's intended to be in terms of like market price, availability, et cetera, et cetera. I think the marvels put quite a premium on history pack, history pack one with a lot of people outside of the respective regions trying to scoop that product up in order in order to get um, some of those Marvel heroes. Yeah, especially when it's product that is you know primarily designed to catch these regions up in. Uh, in native language which i think is obviously really important and super awesome to see so you know what I, th I think this makes a lot of sense um might mean that we get some of these heroes in future sets as marvels though in you know a, a expansion set a dynasty type set or a or a potential core set uh Procus week two wrapped up final weekend coming this weekend there has been of course lss have dropped the data from week one as well which you can go and check out we talked about week one of Proquest last week and we talked about ultim as it turns out, you know, Ultim did seem pretty dominant and uh, has been hit with the ban hammer, so to speak. But you can go and check out that article that's up there. Basically shows you that, you know, kind of Fire Ultim Icelander dominated week one as as Alexis have kind of said in their ban and suspended announcement. Uh, so no no real surprises there. Calling Indianapolis is happening next weekend. Uh, we There is coverage for that. And actually on next week's pod, we have Ethan Van Sant, Man Sant on the pod to tell us about that coverage uh, that he is doing. So Mansant is doing the coverage for Calling Indianapolis. So if you're looking for the coverage next weekend, check out his YouTube channel because it's all going to be over there. Blythe Gauntlet is back on, Brendan, run by 983 Media. I played my first match was broadcast over the weekend on Saturday. Got to play against uh, Peter uh, Bedensic. Very interesting matchup. Mm -hmm. Kano versus Briar. Won't spoil who's on what side or what the result was, but I think it was a good match and, and definitely go check it out. Go check out the Goliath Gauntlet. A lot of awesome people involved with that. Obviously, the cast, as you know, from all the events we've seen, Worlds, PTs, Callings, as well as, you know, players who you would see features before. Michael Hamilton and Matt Rogers are playing in round one, for instance. Big match there. Uh, Dear Mamata, Chris Alley. Lots of people playing in that event, so you can go check it out. Patreon as well. Just a big shout out to all the patrons. And, of course, this is the last week to get onto the Patreon. The $4 tier gets you access to all of our January content. So, at the lowest tier, you get access to all of the content for January for all the tiers. And uh, there is one more deck tech to go up, which by the time this pod drops will have just gone up. So you can see that on Patreon as well, which is uh, deck tech with Brody Spurlock that Brennan did. So in addition to, I think you also did one last week as well, if you want to shout out what you did with Howling Minds, because that is also up on Patreon. 
Yeah, so that one's up. Howling Minds was with the Irish Remind deck, um, and he, he did it quite a sideboard guide for us up on up on Patreon. So he did about 2,500 word sideboard guide. So obviously that includes the cards you swap in and out, but also a lot of tips and tricks, um, heuristics, everything you need to kind of pick up the deck and be successful. The Brody Spurlock deck tech will be a Briar deck tech, which, uh, believe it or not, might be top of the menu with some of these bands. So excited for that. <laughs> It's almost like he has a foresight. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure you're going to tell me a lot about your thoughts on Briar uh, once we get into Ben Spended. I want to talk Commander Cookout first, though, because we do have a great question, which we already planned to have on the show, but I think just perfectly leads into the conversation this week with the Ben Spended announcement. This Commander Cookout question comes from uh, D-Dub on the Arsenal Pass Discord, which is accessible for all of our patrons. Hot topic as well, you know. Looking past the Starvo slash chain portion of Tarek's tweet, how important is balancing variance for the health of flesh and blood? High level players prefer a more skill intensive meta like we have currently, while higher variance may entice more beginner players to dive deep into the game if they can steal a win. Earlier on, rather than months of OX armories as they learn the game. Now, the tweet that uh, D-Dub is referring to is a, a tweet by Tarek where he said, uh, hot take, you know, uh, the game was better with chain and Starvo because of the variance, etc. So mm -hmm. this question basically is saying, you know, what what is the balance between a high variance meta or a, at least a, a meta that's perceived to have a lot of variance in it versus a, a meta that's perceived to have lower variance, which is, you know, what he what DDUP is saying is is the current meta, uh, what they're saying. Do you want to start this off, Brendan? Because I, I kind of have a sure. different take on this question uh, altogether. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I think that this question could be an entire podcast because it's 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 really important and there's a lot of aspects to consider. So is the game is is it good for the game that you know free players let's let's say hypothetically free players can't really get new get easy wins right? It's going to be uh, high player agency, high high skill floor right? So new players are going to have a really hard time um, you know kind of picking up the game. Is that good? Well, I would say it's debatable. Uh, I think it's. It's somewhat negative for Fab because Fab doesn't have a casual format. Fab doesn't have a a base of players that you know are playing a, a sub format like Commander that will just keep buying product no matter what, right? So if new players can't jump into the game and feel like it's something they can be rewarded by playing, and they they just kind of lose every game, yeah, it's probably bad for player retention, honestly. And we would probably see sort of a contracting on the player bases because you know only the top players, quote unquote, are having fun. Is that the situation we're actually in? I don't think so, <laughs> to be honest. And I think I think Starvo was absolute garbage car, uh, garbage design, and it's atrocious, to be honest. That being said, I understand the core concept, and I do think that it, it's a reasonable thing to um, to suggest that maybe Flesh and Blood does need a hero or a set of heroes that have a higher level of variance, have a lower skill floor, have a higher ability to high roll the opponent and sort of win games. But my argument would be that they already exist. Like, I think that, you know, Phi is an aspect of that. Briar is an aspect of that. Like, I think those aggro decks exist, and that's an option in Flesh and Blood. Could we tune it a little bit? You know, could we add a bit more variance, a bit more high roll into Flesh and Blood? Maybe. But um, if someone's going to make the argument that Star Bravo Star of the Show should be back in the game, I think that that's ridiculous. That's way too far for me. That, that hero was very, very bad for the health of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's the original intent of Tarek's tweet, I guess. I think it was more just pointing out the kind of enjoyment factor for newer players in particular, I think, and saying, you know, the oppressive nature of ice versus the oppressive nature of 
rolling Starvo fuse turns, for instance, which is interesting because I think so. The 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 thing I take about Tarek's tweet, right, is that for one, I, you know, Chain, for instance. Yes, there's variants involved, but there's variants involved in every hero. But Chain was one of the most skill-intensive heroes to play, for instance. You know, there's there's a lot of skill to sequencing to make sure you uh, get the most out of every single card, get the most out of your deck as a resource. You know, it's another resource to handle alongside your life total uh, and your your cards per turn. You actually have to manage your deck as a resource as well, similar to, you know, something playing like an aggro dash deck, for instance, which is another reason I think that deck is actually harder to play than people give it credit for. But I think if you just take away variants, because... There's always going to be variants. No, like you can reduce it, right? And you can talk about these ice decks and it's like, okay, one of the reasons that Ultim and Icelander reduce variants to a degree is because their blues are impactful, right? Channel Lake Frigid, Hypothermia, Terra Sunder, Glacial Footsteps, all these, you know, these high impact blues, right? They mean that when they draw these cards, these blue cards that are often, you know, only resource cards for other heroes, the, you know, these hands are less dead. There's less impact to how negative their hand can be. So they can play more blues. They can have more consistency to have resources plus threats that's where the variance changes right but if you just then if you move away from that variance conversation you move away to the actual play experience and it's like you know there like you say there are still heroes in this meta right now briar fire that have high roll potential those might not be the icelanders and the the ultims but there's still decks that have these high roll potential so i think to say that we're in a, a format that has like less variance for instance right now i don't think that's necessarily true i think there's still aspects to that it's just it's less prevalent and it's less shown it's shown in different ways like you play icelander you play an icelander mirror and you draw three or four reds in your hand and i guarantee you'll feel the effect of the variance and say like you know and feel the effect that that whole turn cycle has when your opponent draws three blue cards and a, a wounded bull or an enlightened strike in every single hand and just tempos you out of the game you you'll feel that that variance is still there so this question of, you know, we're in a less variant form than we were before, I don't think is actually necessarily true, at least not to the degree that I think people have kind of portrayed. There's still a lot of variance in this format. Does you, does hypothermia line up with channel, uh, channel Mount Heroic, for instance? Like those those sorts of conversations happen as well. So, but what I will say on this kind of, is there a, how important is balancing variance? I think it's super important. And I think to your point, Brennan, it's important to balance the type of variance that we have. So, mm-hmm. you know, was starvo good for the game depends how you look at it right i think it was something that was approachable for new players it gave them these wins that felt really good it, it, you know it enabled them to just step straight into the game and play a hero that could perform at a pretty high level and not be that difficult to play at least at sort of an 80 percent level uh but was it an enjoyable play experience probably not right so how do we balance this idea of having some variance to the game a lower sort of skill cap or entry level when we don't have a casual format but also make it enjoyable and Two different ends of the spectrum, both Ice and to a degree Starvo, have, there's been issues with the enjoyability or the experience that, that players have had with those those factors in the game. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it is a bit subjective too, because if we talk about Ice being really unfun, like, you know, Ice is fun for people to play Icelander. It, it is. That's just how it is. And that's how humans are actually as well. It's like they're less focused about, you know, having a fair game and more about, you know, them winning. And that's that's just kind of how our psychology works. I think that Starvo in particular sort of breaks tennis of everything because that deck won kind of won the game in deck building rather than actual play. And I thought that that, that ability was frustrating. But Chain, yeah, Chain is high variance because 
you don't know what's going to come off the top of your blood debt and you don't know yeah you just you could be potentially playing an extra four cards per turn or you could have just whiffed and you just have a regular four card hand that being said i 100 percent agree with you hayden chain was one of the most skill intensive heroes that has ever existed in flesh and blood and if you don't think so i mean that when that deck played against defensive fatigue decks that was very very tough and it took a long time to master i thought the chain was great for the game you know, it was a little bit powerful at some times, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I did think it was good for the game. You wouldn't see me you wouldn't see me really complaining about it. Star was pretty much the limit of my complaint, and I think Prism would probably fall under that too. I liked Prism at points, but Prism was uh, Prism was some zero and fun, right? Like, <laughs> some people like, yeah, it, it just really made the opponent miserable, and it had some bad game mechanics. I do think that Flesh and Blood needs a way to uh, sort of introduce new players to the game, and you know, give them a fun play experience where they don't have to pour you know, hours and hours of their life before they finally get a win. Um, my argument would just be that that currently exists. Um, and I think that people are a little bit too rose-tinted rose on the nostalgia when they look back at things like Starfo. I don't think we need to go back there. Yeah, I agree. Look, I think you've summed that up perfectly. We could, like you say, we could do a whole pot on this. The, the final thing I have for this is I do think, just going back to Chain, Chain has been one of the best heroes for the game of flesh and blood come at me if you want because of the combination of power variance and skill cap which i think to be honest i want to see more heroes like chain in their various forms i'm not saying i want to see chain replicas but i want to see that kind of i think those are ways that you can incorporate some of the things we just talked about while it not being starvo and it not being ice for instance um so yeah, I mean, hey, look, Brendan, some people dislike playing against Kano, and I, I don't know how yeah. that's possible. So, <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with those people? Nah, the, it's so funny because I, you know, I really hated PT2 meta. I hated playing the Briar Mirrors, but I love Chain, and I think it comes down to like, I just love seeing more cards. <laughs> it's like, just give me more heroes, let me see more cards. Well, decision like, yeah, it's decision points. That's the thing. Exactly. You know, agency as an idea sometimes is it's it's misused, right? Like, there's always decision points in a game, and there's there's correct and incorrect decisions and you can go and look through a game and some of these will be not as clear and there will be smaller margins but at the end of the day there is always incorrect and correct decisions that's that's that is just how it is but when you have more decision points and the games are closer and the decision points are less separated in terms of uh, the distance between them and their eventual outcome those are really interesting those are the games that are super interesting that was chain that's what i think lightning briar mirrors were like current mm -hmm. prime mirrors and aggro mirrors from sort of like uprising onwards i don't feel the same about but we're definitely going to talk about that right now because spoiler we might be hitting towards more of an aggressive meta yeah. so great well, hey, i want to say i want to yeah. say sorry i want to say one thing last real quick is that i think that player agency or at least the illusion of player agency is the appeal of flesh and blood um like i think that's part of what makes the game so special and i know that some people would critique that in in the negative aspect of it which is also i'm not sure it's 100 percent true but the negative aspect being that it prevents new players from picking up the game and winning i don't think that's the the case mm -hmm. but i think in flesh and blood the idea that i have more agency over the game is honestly what drew me in compared to something like magic the gathering i think that you know that's also a skill-based game but the way that permanents stack up and the the advantage bar really goes in one direction the fact that doesn't happen in fam is it's really fundamental to the appeal for me so i think if we hyper focus on this you know let's introduce variants and let's to try to onboard new players i think we would actually lose some of what makes flesh and blood flesh and blood yep i completely agree it yes you can reduce the margins in terms of you know these skill impact margins while still making the game feel good it's just a really hard balance but we've seen it happen and it's yeah like you say it's part of the just the broad appeal of flesh and blood to start with is that games feel 
competitive even when often they're they're not uh when you go mm-hmm. and look at the decision trees and how these games play out so yeah great question from d-dub there uh if you do want to get your questions in for the commander cookout you can do so in many different ways you can uh, drop a question uh, question down below on the youtube comments you can dm us on twitter you can tweet at us with your question you can also uh, email them to us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com or if you a, a patreon member you can drop it in the discord there is a channel there like d-dub did thank you for the question Let's move on. We're going to talk about the main topic of the pod, and we don't really have notes for this because we've just dropped the banner spend announcement on us, Brendan, but I have an idea of how I think we should we should tackle this. <clears throat> First of all, let's talk about what has happened with the banner spend announcement because it has was planned originally for January 30th, obviously with the impending calling Indianapolis that was brought forward as much as possible by Alice's to give players as much time as possible. So the the Banner announcement doesn't actually come into effect until January 30th, so the date the original announcement was planned. <clears throat> but it gives people playing in Indianapolis uh, four or five days more to, you know, to consider this big change in the meta and what they might do. And uh, basically, the reasoning for this that Alice has given is that they wanted to give it as soon as possible, but they were waiting to see any living legend impacts. It looks like Briar will not living legend in this last week of ProQuest, so the January 30th announcement will not see any heroes hit living legend. If it does, uh, they have said that. Those heroes that would hit Living Legend this weekend will be Living Legend. They will they will rectify the announcement as of uh, as of the end of ProQuest season for January thirtieth. So if Briar, you know, ends up winning what is it twenty something ProQuest it needs to win or more this weekend, then uh, it will hit Living Legend. But it looks very unlikely. So Alice's have made this announcement. So Brendan, the little is banned. Winter's Whale is banned. Amulet of Ice is suspended until Icelander becomes Living Legend, and Hypothermia is suspended. Until Icelander becomes Living Legend, Legend, just give me your like first take on these four cards. Is it what you expected? It's not what you expected. It's tough because I actually I kind of maintain an open mind going into this. So when it comes to expectation, um, I I really don't have much to comment there. I I really was just like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'll have my take after. But my take here is that Belittle. I think that ban is somewhat overdue. That ban did 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 give decks like five ability to compete a bit more against Icelander um, while it existed, but I, I think that you know, Belittle potentially breaks the fundamental cores of the game, so I'm not I'm not surprised to see it go. Um, Winter's Whale, that weapon is so freaking powerful, uh, and just, it's so core to some of the old hymns strategies that, you know, I think that it's a it's potentially a good nerf to old him, but I think it's a stiff one at that. Um, the Icelander, Icelander is kind of two cards, right? And there's ran- it's it's not just Icelander, by the way. They've used Icelander as the suspension sort of time frame, but this affects all Ice heroes. I think that it's this is pretty stiff, pretty uh, a pretty stiff suspension on Icelander. If you're going to be playing that deck at the highest level, I think that deck was already uh, sort of existing on a fine edge, and this tips it in the the wrong direction. So I don't think that Icelander will be super competitive after this, especially because I think we're headed to a more aggro focused meta. And then lastly, Hayden, I think that these bans are unfortunately they they really hurt Lexi um, actually, um, and I think that that's that's unfortunate. Um, it, it does seem that Legendary Studios is not willing to distinguish on certain cards um, to have them legal one here and not another. We're just not going to be going there. So yeah, unfortunately, Lex- Lexi suffers quite a bit. I think that old him as the top deck, uh, it's going to have to look a lot different if it wants to maintain that status. But um, mm-hmm. hey, your thoughts? You just, uh, I mean, we can talk about heroes and kind of, so we're going to talk through this, the span spend announcement. We're going to talk about the cards and our kind of thoughts on this. And then we're going to talk about meta impact. 
And uh, the reason I just I give this outline right now is because I completely disagree on Lexi. I think Lexi looks like one of the big winners from this uh, because of how this meta might shift. But we, we can talk about that soon. I'll give you my kind of take first. First of all, I want to toot my own horn a little bit because in the in the show notes when I said originally that we would uh, we would maybe do some predictions for the band spender, what do we feel? You'll notice, Brendan, on the notes, the first three cards I've put here are Hypothermia, Winter's Whale, Amulet of Ice, because those are the cards that I felt would probably have some action taken against them. Uh, but little, I thought because of where we are now and the fact it hasn't been hit yet, I thought it wouldn't get hit. You know, for instance, the the reasoning they give for Belittle, okay, is, uh, you know, it allows these six or seven card hands, this these really efficient hands to be played with extra resources for Fi in particular and to play around Ice. Well, you know, maybe Ice is a bit less of an impact now, but let's balance it out by taking Belittle. I get that. This idea of like the six or seven card hands, I think what they're talking about is Dick's potentially going back to fire, in particular going back to like Blossom of Spring and just trying to like power through big belittle out of war turns as like these big combo turns with Pouncing Links. So I, I actually, I, I think it's it's about time and it makes sense. Like you said, I completely agree. The the Amulet of Ice one is really interesting. I think you talked about Hypothermia and what that does to potential aggro meta. Amulet of Ice is like double hit on Icelander, right? Hit mm-hmm. a card against aggro with Hypothermia and hit a card against Control with Amulet of Ice, which was being used a lot. Yeah. Amulet Device is also like so that's the thing is Amulet Device is a key card in control. Um yes, but it, it it's kind of a key card in everything. It's just it's a really good it's a really, really good card in the deck. So it actually hurts its aggro matchup and its you know it's quote unquote mid-range matchup, however you want to qualify mid-range. that. So yeah, it's um yeah, Amulet Device is a is probably the stiffest one to be on. Well, hypothermia to be like hypothermia is the worst one because we're likely going to trend towards an aggro meta and that was that key, the card was absolutely key in isolator surviving in some of those five matchups briar matchups etc yeah and i want to talk about winter's whale i mean yeah winter's whale i think the, the problem with winter's whale that i have and the reason it was high on my list is because it allows ultim to do anything it wants to you've seen mm-hmm. this season ultim dominate as a, a much more proactive deck playing six for tens uh, being able to actually like charge down Icelander with just damage, being able to you know disrupt these aggro decks and then pivot to defend all of a sudden. And Winter's Whale allows you to do that because all of a sudden you know you're putting on pressure, and then you have this shield, whether it be Stalagmite or Ram's Head, and then plus this weapon where you dump a blue into it and you get four plus ice bite, uh, a frostbite. Like the return rate is just so huge. And then all of a sudden you're pivoting back to being this deck that throws disruption, throws CNC pummels, throws fused glacial footsteps whatever it is spinal crushes etc so winter's whale was like one where to me i think it fixes a lot of the issues of the strength of ultim you know crown of seeds is another card you could look at they talk about crown of seeds in this announcement and not wanting to necessarily attack attack is the wrong word but look at the legendaries i think as a as a last resort or a later resort as opposed to something like winter's whale um and I just think the weapon is people talk about Rosetta being, you know, the strongest weapon. My take recently, and I think, you know, discussing with other players, Winter's Whale was just mm-hmm. the strongest weapon. And I, I don't think it's particularly been close, to be honest. So I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I have agreed too. Like that the Winter's Whale is a very is ridiculous. Like I mean you have a like old him, I think, is a value oriented deck and we talk about it, you know, playing these two costs plus pommel off the tunic. I mean, you know, play the four costs off tunic etc etc but the fact that they can you know with one blue if it's an ice blue threaten four damage um plus a frostbite off of a recurring card that exists on the board persistently via a weapon it was just it's strong so i think that's i think it's a massive hit to ultim to be honest yeah okay let's talk a bit about the heroes that have been hit and the meta as it is prior to this banner spend announcement and then 
I think that can help us extrapolate to where we think we're going to go from here. So let's let's just go through this. So belittle, ban, and fire. What does that actually mean for fire, right, Brendan? I just kind of alluded to before. It means that you're less efficient potentially against ice, frostbites in, in particular, Lexi in particular, I think as well. It also means that uh, you have less explosive potential with out of war turns, whether it be with Tunic or Blossom Spring to start the turn to go and get your resources that fuel the whole turn without losing a card like you did previously. You know, where you need to pitch maybe a blue or another red. Now, you know, you weren't losing a card with Belittle. So you, you move away from that. What does this mean for Fi? You know, my kind of take is overall the explosiveness, the ceiling goes down a little bit and the consistency against uh, Ice goes down also. Mm -hmm. Consistency going down, I think, is a key motive for me. And I think that you know, Belittle uh, added a lot to Fi's consistency as what I perceived before the Belittle edition as a somewhat inconsistent deck. So I think it becomes uh, a bit a bit more variable now. Okay, covered Fi. Let's look at Ultim. This season we've seen Ultim be primarily proactive decks, a lot of red attack actions, a lot of pummels and CNCs being played, and, uh, you know, a lot of E-Strikes, Rouse the Ancients, this sort of thing. We have seen this past weekend a shift back to some defensive decks. It's not like we didn't see them at all. Uh, we saw some fatigue, Ultim, for instance, come through this weekend. But, you know, primarily it's been this proactive version. But regardless, we've seen both versions. What does the what does the Winter's Whale ban do to Ultim mm -hmm. as we know it in this current format? Yeah, Ultim goes back to its roots, I think, and becomes a defensive deck. And I think that... Uh, hold on, I'll stop myself before I go talk about the meta and its, <laughs> its function in the meta. Yeah, so I think it becomes defensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. I think if you would look... If you just say, okay, Winter's Whale goes... One of your best tools at being uh, proactive with maybe double attacks, you know, Zealous Belting into Weapon or Rouse into Weapon or E-Strike into Weapon, for instance, is is gone, right? Because you've lost that on-hit effect. Uh, and you, yeah, so I think you're right. I, I stopped myself as well. I think you're right. It looks like if you're, you know, you're now going to play Titan's Fist to accompany those potentially. Possibly in some matchups, it's like Sledge versus Coronet, depending on what those matchups are. Maybe Coronet becomes a lot more efficient than playing this titan's fist plus shield and trying to use your resources that way uh but that's what it probably looks like now let's talk about icelander then like this is the toughest one that's why i've left it for last mm -hmm. where does icelander stand you've lost probably your best card at attacking something like briar hypothermian wasn't that impactful versus fire for sure but something that's pretty impactful against uh, briar in particular as well as dash definitely against dash and then you've lost amul of ice which helped you just really cleanly sort of close out these games against uh, mid-range decks but also things like like defensive ultim for instance yeah and the device is honestly pretty important to pivoting against some of the aggro decks too if you're able to allow one early like being able to play amulet device at instant speed out of your arsenal and then maybe the cap like you're giving your opponent the frostbite and then maybe you capitalize by using the the weapon as well mm -hmm. like it was a lot of value um it just made it so when you did aether isolating the opponent you were effectively taking away their entire turn if you're playing against an aggro deck obviously very important in the combo deck i think that these bands for Icelander, I think that Icelander was, uh, like I mentioned at the top here, was existing sort of on a fine edge as one of the top decks in the meta. And, you know, it, it was very debatable whether it was favored or unfavored into Fi, into Aggro, etc. And I think that these bans tip that Icelander deck in the wrong direction. So I think at the highest level, Fi, or Icelander becomes significantly less competitive because there is so much more opportunity for aggro decks to just run you over and tempo you out of a game. Um, the combo aspect, 
you could potentially it, it's going to definitely be harder to combo super defensive uh ultimate decks now that you're missing amulet of ice you're going to have to set up the the insidious so chills, chills and then yeah. and then be very disciplined about fusing because you're going to need to save the triggers for the end of the game so you know if an old him is also being proactive on you the entire i mean it's just going to be really tough so i think that very very negative for Icelander, and I think it falls out of a top deck contention. Still very playable. I still think that it's a very powerful deck. I just I don't think it'll be um, a boogeyman anymore. Yeah, that's the hottest take, by the yeah. way. That is <laughs> no, that no, is no. definitely the hottest. Yeah, it's it's. I could be wrong about that, but that that's my opinion. I feel the same. Like I feel like it's a pretty big hit, but also could be wrong. I think actually, I think it's less impact. I kind of disagree with you on one thing. I think everything else I agree on, but I think it. It's actually more of an impact to Icelander at a sort of armory and pro quest, maybe day one calling level as opposed to a high competitive level. Because the reason I say that is because I think Hypothermia was such a key card for just destroying aggro decks like Dash and Briar and, you know, being able to just kind of blindly draw it on the right turn and not necessarily have to play for it in a particular way. Whereas I think, you know, things like Insidious Chill and the way that people play with that card into aggro matchups, especially the higher skill players, is really interesting, I think and amulet advice also actually i do i do agree i thought about it more while you're talking i was like yeah you are right like it's just the thing you can play it on turn. like you go first you play that on turn zero it's like ah uh, it's just like energy potion on turn zero it, like it, it's so it's so strong and you can play it for free out of your arsenal like it's crazy sure, so no like, cost to it anytime you anytime you have an additional card and one of those being amulet advice you just pop that in the arsenal and you just give your opponent frostbite and then you're getting a free amulet advice amulet advice does have go again um right so you can't play it in your main phase but just the fact that like one of the most powerful things about Icelanders is that you can put freaking potions in your arsenal and then just play them for free with no cost on your opponent's turn and the fact that you get an upside of giving your opponent a frostbite like it's a big hit to aggro as well in my opinion such a big call you said as well about versus insidious chill where you know amulet you just get to choose you get to choose when you trade that card so you pick the perfect spot to trade up into that card you know use the briar matchup for example you land that amulet early or you maybe take some damage to get it out but you disrupt and you get a waning moon hit and and all of a sudden it's like okay here's the channel turn it's like cool well, now i'm going to make sure my amulet trades up on what that one card was worth earlier in the game so um yeah that's really huge okay i think the last thing i want to say on icelander is like you know you said where does it stand i think it takes more of a hit personally i think at, at, at a a lower level of competition as a higher as opposed to a higher level competition just because i think that deck still has so much play to it but mm. and like amulet vice for instance i think there's going to be workarounds with insidious chills and people are still going to find ways to combat these defensive decks to find in-game combos with insidious and without amulet uh for instance hypothermia is a big hit there so i think that's where we kind of stand what these I'm decks the hot take i'm willing the hot hot take here and we can we can we can come after me for this one but i'm willing to stake that by the time we get to pt baltimore that all, that the top players that we're considering bringing iceland to the tournament have hopped on and picked a better deck so i think that icelander will be actually almost irrelevant in the top eight of pt baltimore i hope i'm wrong i really do but Icelander is a deck that, like, I feel like if you go look at Michael Hamilton's World's Icelander deck and you try to make changes, you're going to be, it's tough. Like, the deck, the deck list feels very, very tight. And we got rid of two tools, right? They're not just like these, these interchangeable blues. Like, um, they were really critical to the deck. So I think that the deck has actually taken a huge hit in terms of its, at the highest level, its competitive viability. So, yeah, I'm willing to put it here. We can all come at me at PT, at PT Baltimore. But I think that the players that consider bringing that deck will hop onto other decks by the time. Maybe that means I can justify actually playing Kano. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, so I was saving that, but Kano is like 100% better. Like, Kano's so good now. I hope that you all are packing your Spellboy too, because we're going to be bringing that to that PT and we're going to be, you know. 
<laughs> I mean, if Iceland is still around, there's no chance. I freaking hate that matchup. I think it's most unwinnable. But anyway, uh, I'm digressing on a, a Kano tangent as as per usual. <laughs> let's let's talk about kind of what this this means for the. I mean, that by the way, Brendan, that is quite a quite a hot take that you know you think mm-hmm. Iceland might be relevant, but you know we can. What does Zach Bun do? Uh, remind me of this tweet on date X, and we'll, we'll come back and we'll we'll listen back. Why don't we talk about just meta impacts overall and what we think this does? So first of all, I want to ask you the question: What does a potential Icelander, you know, loss of hypothermia, uh, particularly, mean for this? You know, if this if this deck reduces because it now has no access to disrupt a deck like Briar and Dash really effectively, what does that mean for the meta and kind of the initial take? Do you think? So I think this works in tandem with the Winter's Well ban, which is going to change up the way that Ulton decks have to function. So I think that I, I, this is definitely very good for aggro, I think, in almost every single way. So I think that we go back to sort of a PT2-esque sort of meta. So we're going to be heavy aggro, and I think that most of the meta will be dominated by aggro decks, but then they will be juxtaposed by the polar opposite of that being a hyper-defensive Ulton deck or just like fatigue decks in general, maybe a sort of a dash deck that does a similar function. So I think we will sort of, if you could classify the current meta as existing as sort of a, a somewhat of a mid-range, right? Like you, a lot of decks are viable, uh, quote-unquote, and you have decks that don't really fall into the archetype of aggro or defensive, right? So we maybe consider the mid-range. I think that that will effectively get for the most part, deleted. And I think it would be hyper-aggressive and hyper-defensive decks with the aggressive decks taking a larger portion of the meta. So that's my my projection. Does hypothermia just in itself mean that Briar is now back on the tables? Because PT yes. Leal, Briar was the best, best hero that, that, that event. Maybe you could say you know, Ultim was probably close. You know, there's a lot of Ultims that did well that event in top 16. But is... Is hypothermia alone enough to put Briar back on, you know, top spot? Yes. Yes. But you have to realize that if you're thinking about picking up something like Briar, um, you might be looking at the PT2 meta and be like, wow, this is super ripe for me to pick up Briar. But now in this in the, this upcoming day and age, the Oldims will exist without the threat of Prism. So they can go even more defensive, which can make it hard to be, potentially play some of these aggro decks into Ultim. So something to consider. There's, there's not going to be a prism equalizing some of these hyper-defensive decks and punishing them for playing that way. So Briar, definitely 100% back on the table. I think it might actually be the premier aggro deck, the best aggro deck, like better than Fi. Um, but you're going to need game plans to beat these super-defensive decks, which I can almost guarantee are going to show up. So what about... Let's uh, then go one step further. So we say Super Teams of Ultimate becomes an option to combat what could be the rise of an aggressive meta. Dash obviously got tools with Dynasty, still looks like a great aggro deck, you know, great aggro slash hybrid deck. You've got Fi, which, you know, lost a little, lost a bit of its ceiling, but, you know, still has this, you know, this really strong aggressive plan. Briar, Hypothermia goes, comes back. Ultimate moves to being defensive with the loss of Winter's Whale and tries to outlast these decks. Let's look at things like Dromai then. What about what about Dromai and what about Icelander then becoming maybe less of a deck that preys on aggro and more of a deck that just preys on super defensive decks, for instance? Like where does you know Dromai in particular, Iris Dromai, for instance? Mm-hmm. So that's 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 an interesting thing to bring up because it's like can Dromai fulfill the same position that Prism fulfilled back in PT two? And I think that the answer is somewhat. Not quite as well. So I think that the, the, the Iris Dromai will be weaker than Prism was to the aggro decks. I think it'll be weaker to Fi, weaker to Briar. Like the thing about Prism is that it was overwhelmingly 
powerful into yeah. old him and into guardians but it was also it could beat rune blades it could beat ninjas like it had game there i think that the irish my deck which might be extremely favorable into a deck like old him just doesn't maintain as much equity as prism did against those aggro decks and will be facing a more polarized sort of matchup spread um so potentially like i think it's an important thing to bring up potentially prism or sorry iris jamai and just your in general can make its way into this meta and shake things up so my like just to speak about that too hayden is like my biggest hopes for this meta and how it doesn't fall into those two polar opposites right the hyper aggro and hyper defensive things that we complained about for almost a year on this podcast because that was that was what fab was for a long time the the hope that I have is that Dax, decks like Jermai or decks like, honestly, Dash. Like, I think that if you can find a good mid-range Dash deck that has game into aggro decks, but beats up on the Guardian decks like it's supposed to with the items, with the sort of inevitability, I have hope that there can there can exist these quote-unquote mid-range decks or these decks that just don't fall into that, you know, hyper-aggressive, hyper-defensive bucket. That, that could be the way to play, right? So let, let's let's use Dash as an example. Dash has been a deck that, you know, starting something like Tickler Pounder or Hyperdriver, Hanavi, however you want to look at it, it can be, you know, one of the most explosive aggro decks in the format and can race down Fires and, and Briars, for instance. And then with access to items, can potentially combat these items. Now, what we found during this meta in particular was that, you know, it was really hard to fit enough defense reactions to be able to combat these uh, really proactive ultimate decks, right, with their disruptive elements and... Uh, they could, you know, if you flipped aggro as the dash, then they could fatigue you. And if you flipped the items, you know, the item pistol build, then they could just go at you with their own big attacks. Now, if they become more defensive because of the loss of Winter's Whale and to an extent hypothermia, does that mean that, you know, you don't need to worry about those defense reactions? You can just play more items. You can play more uh, more equity for those for those matchups. Does that potentially mean that dash is one of the best, the best uh, players there? Could just pure, if that's not true, then maybe just pure defensive dash is also really good because might not be as good into something like Fi, for instance, uh, but you know, maybe overwhelmingly favored into something like Ultim. Mm-hmm. That that's sort of my that's that's the unknown for me, right? Like that's that's the potential this meta has if it's not going to shape out the way that I would predict, which is the hyper aggressive, hyper defensive. The only way that happens is with decks like Dash and Jermai moving in and finding a space in the meta where they're able to thrive. Outside of that. Yeah, I think that we we trend towards the age old classic constructed meta. Um, but um, yeah, I mean that's how it is. And uh, Hayden, what do you th- like if we went there? Let, so let, let's say that we're correct. Let's say that our uh, our theories are correct here. What what are your opinions on that? Do you think that that's a good thing? Do you are you happy to go back there? So I think one of the things that's a bit of a missing piece is something like Lexi. We haven't talked about. I know you said you think it gets hurt by this. I think this then helps Lexi a lot because I think what it does is it it removes it puts more emphasis on people potentially going back to an aggro focused format right and a lot more targets on people's backs which i think in this previous meta it was like okay it looks really widespread but actually ultim fight icelander are dominating the results but people are still playing a lot of different things if we move to this thing where it's like okay icelander sees less play aggro sees more play lexi has more things to target i think and and do so with like a, a suite of cards that can be a bit more narrow and then potentially have this kind of like you know, transformational cyborg-esque thing for Ultim, for instance, you know, like kind of things we just talked about. I actually think Lexi fits into a similar category to like a hybrid dash, possibly. Maybe it can't do it quite as efficiently, but, you know, maybe it preys on aggro decks a lot more and has this plan that can give it some sort of game into Ultim, for instance, uh, without having to be as wide as it had in previous formats. So that, that I think is interesting. 
am I happy to go back to, I, I just don't know if it's true. Like, I don't know if we do go back to this aggro. Like, I understand what you're saying, but let's just step back for a second and try and contextualize this a little bit. Winter's Whale is gone, yes. But mm -hmm. can Ultim still just play in the same way it was before and still have some percentage of the same success? P probably, right? Like, you replace Winter's Whale with Titan's Fist, yes, you lose the impact of the, the Frostbite. But does that mean you can't play that strategy at all? Or does it just mean that you lose some percentage because of that Frostbite's relevancy, you know, in certain spots in the game? I think you lose enough percentage that that is not the viable. best, best, not viable, but not the best ultimate strategy. Cool. So I think you lose enough, right? Because I think that these things are already pretty close in power level, um, although they served quite different functions. Um, so I think the loss of Winter's Whale is compelling enough to move to a more defensive, to a more defensive ultimate build. Hayden, can I get your your overall opinion, like your, your personal opinion, are you happy with these bands and do you think they will contribute to a better class constructive meta? I think I just have to say I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, we're, I, like I say, we're five hours or so removed from, six hours removed from the announcement and also I woke up to this announcement so I really haven't had as much time to process as I would like. I had already thought about what I thought the meta could look like with certain changes, you know, with, so I said Winter's Whale, Hypothermia were, were really high on my list. I know Amulet was, for a bit of context actually, but an interesting story, Amulet was a, a, a card that was talked about by a particular dev or two at the World Championships. I heard it circulated, you know, I don't want to name <laughs> yeah. names, but uh, Amulet was already on the LSS potential hit list. It was a card that they thought potentially could have got banned uh, when they banned oh. Pulse. So, you know, just saying. But I remember having some words when they brought that up. But anyway, um, so I, I really, I really don't know. Like, I need to see how it shakes. I need to, you know, we're we're, we're discussing this like we probably would in. So, say we heard this announcement today, right? Me and Brendan, if we were testing for an event, like when this happened for before the PT, you know, PT one, there was a ban announcement. Everyone who was sort of testing together and, and working together to some degree jumped on a call and was like, "What does this mean for the meta?" You know, what you know, and this is the kind of conversation we're having right now. It's it's all theoretical until we start to get some results on the board and the meta then starts to develop from that because we can say, "Yeah, it moves to an aggressive meta," and that could happen at at Indy, right? All of a sudden, all these aggressive decks and then defensive Ultim does well, and then the meta shifts again. Jeremy comes in, you know, people will play defensive dash. It can really iterate really quickly, and and let's not forget this format is done to a degree when outsiders lands you know we have a new set what impact outsiders will have mm. hard to say it's it's not talented and let's not forget monarch and tales of aria continue to dominate less so monarch yeah. now that chain and prisma living legion but tales of aria continues to dominate what this meta has looked like for the past year so yeah how big will I, outsiders uh, be that's that's the question. so i yeah, I think a class constructed meta that's dominated by extremely aggressive decks and extremely defensive decks with little middle ground, if that's where we land, is historically a very hard meta for a new set to impact. It does depend on the power level of the set, but the set is more likely to have less of an impact, I think, in this meta than it might in you know a more mid-range oriented meta or even this pest meta, but that, that's purely conjecture. I would say from my personal subjective experience in Flesh and Blood, this ban, this ban announcement, I think, will contribute to a a worse class constructed experience. But that's because I I enjoy wizard. Um, I don't enjoy aggro mirrors. What if to give you insight though? If me and Hayden were on a call right now, and we were preparing for a big event like a pro tour, you know what the call would actually be about? 
fucking Kano is great again. <laughs> like that's exactly what we'd be doing because that's Kano is one of the biggest winners from here. Unless this Iris Jermai deck can exist. If the Iris Jermai deck can exist, that's going to suck. But outside of that, Kano wins so much from all of this. Like Kano was struggling into these to these ice decks and these proactive Olden decks, and yeah, you know, it was just getting harder. And the more and now, if can you imagine a Fi deck without Belittle? Infinitely easier for K for Kano. Um, yeah, I think Kano is a big winner. And if if we were actually talking about upcoming Pro Tour, we would be pumped. Well, let's do it like that weird. then, because I'll sidebar and say I actually think it potentially looks worse for Kano because oh. defensive Ultim decks pivot to probably playing cards like Oasis because of how it fits into the structure of how they're going to play the game. I think that you know Dramai becomes a lot more relevant. Icelander might not be gone from the format, which is still a matchup I don't want to play. So I, I don't know. Like I, I don't know if that's actually true, but anyway i think to your question am i like do i think that could be a good format i i actually think do you know what one of the things i like about a polarizing format so you know this really aggressive and a really defensive end to it is often there's ways to exploit it with setup decks with decks mm -hmm. that can do a particular thing and do it well and know what it has to combat i go and look at decks like scalata viscerai you know otk viscerai whatever you want to call it combo viscerai during the lightning briar slash ultim meta you know that that got to slot in there you got to see Prism slot in there to take advantage of decks like Viscerai and uh, particularly Ultim as like this kind of third wheel. And I think that could happen again. Like I, I, I don't mind those formats. Uh, so I don't know. I didn't like P PT Leal as a meta, but one of the problems I had with that is it's like you couldn't play certain things. So like Icelander was like a really interesting piece of the meta, but Prism. It's like this, this, mm -hmm. but Prism, this, this, but Prism. And Prism isn't here this time. And I just wonder if it's going to be different because of that and allow decks to play the polarization like we weren't able to previously and, and whether that could still lead to a good meta and then breed these kind of, I say mid-range, but decks that can be hybrid, decks that can be uh, a little bit less powerful but have options into both sort of poles of the meta and decks that can potentially look to have these setup plans and, and be a bit more interesting. So mm -hmm. I, I'm optimistic. Like I've got to be optimistic. I love this game. I You know, it's, it's something that I spend a lot of my time on and I've got to think that, LSS put more than the 45 minutes that we've put into this so far of discussing it to, you know, I would hope. So I do think this will introduce more variants into the game. What everybody has been talking about, they want to speaking back to the class constructed or the, sorry, the command and cookout question. Mm. It might be satisfying that aspect. Um, I do want to ask you one more question, Aiden, which is slightly, uh, slightly less related. And that's it. What do you think about uh, LSS's heavy handedness in sort of frequency and number of bands are doing. I think that we've, you know, a few quite a while ago, we would have probably been talking on the spot, just wondering, hey, what does the future of the banner restricted yeah. for Flesh and Blood look like in a turtle card game? Are we trending towards the Yu-Gi-Oh model, or are we going to be you know, relying on Living Legend and new things coming in? And we've seen, you know, frequent ban bans and, and restrictions, and we've seen you know a lot of cards changed. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that's good? Are you happy about it, etc.? So. I think when it happened the first time, I wasn't happy about it, but I think they've been really clear about how they want to use the ban list to balance the game. And I think they've they've been really open with it on the past three ban suspended announcements. So I think they've just, they've given expectations to the players of what this can look like, of how, you know, heavy handed, whatever you want to say, they may or may not be in any given ban suspended announcement. So I I like it, to be honest. Like, I think it's one of the things that the positives, the strengths they have of being able to balance uh, an eternal game is to use the ban suspended announcement suspended i think the introduction of the suspended in particular is really interesting and, and has potentially helped this so yeah and this one in particular four cards feels like a lot 
especially when you think cycles for belittle minimalism is effectively banned now unless you for some reason want to play that uh yeah i mean to be determined on how this plays out but i'm okay with reasonably heavy-handed bans i would rather them you know try and shake the format up as long as they do it considerately to understand what the shakeup means you know what decks could rise because of that but for them to go and you know if they just banned hypothermia for instance was that enough for icelander you know without banning amulet device i would rather them go a little bit too far than not far enough to potentially shake the format up and to to rebalance it than uh, they're not doing enough mm-hmm. especially since they can reverse so- this and you know they've They've said these cards are suspended until um, such date. And, of course, they can reverse bans. You know, that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't think they necessarily would. That's the point of the ban is suspended. But, you know, they could, they could, they could do it. They haven't so far. Uh, but I, I just think Lotus. it was suspended, though, was it not? Or was it banned? Yeah, I think so. It was, might have been banned. You might be right. I, one of the, you know, one of the others, they definitely walked that one back. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But Belittle and Winter's Whale, I think both are, are too powerful as cards. They're, they're both cards that were on, on my list, my list of powerful cards. You know, the cards that were included Plunder Run in the past have included cards like uh, Tom of Fiendale. I just think there's cards that can be exploited and Belittle and Winter's Whale have time and time again shown that. So, And I think they make a good point, right? They said that had this been the first season of dominance for these heroes, they probably would have, you know, looked to allow the meta to adapt and use Outsiders as a way to move potential meta on but it's not you know pt Leal, what were the decks that were showing up Fi move through to national season and world championship spawns prison living legend icelander ultim these decks have continued to dominate uh so i think it makes sense they take action here and they've been pretty clear about it i think that the critique that people would make and i know you disagree with that is i think that there has been a somewhat um you know, a lot of people have expressed their opinion that the the class constructed meta prior to this ban was very healthy, um, and it's gotten a lot of positive feedback. So I think that if we're, I think that there will be a somewhat of a general community sort of shock in how many cards were banned, considering that it does look like from my extrapolation from reading Twitter is that people have enjoyed this meta. So this this definitely will significantly change uh, that meta for, yeah. for for better or for worse. Those people are deluded, honestly. <laughs> It might be the hottest takeover shit. On I just honestly, I just don't think those people have played that much of this meta. If they think that this meta was was healthy, like both Icelander and Ultim were just too good. Like honestly, like if you if you actually tested into those those heroes frequently and understood how that you know like playing those both those heroes, Ultim could do it whatever way I wanted to between aggressive, defensive. It could pivot with Winter's Whale, especially Icelander, just so consistent and so strong and had so much play to it. I just, it, you can look at the results. Like, I, between Icelander and Ultim, they won nearly freaking 50% of the ProQuest in week one. Like, it, it's not. Like, yes, a lot of heroes might have shown up, but that's because people thought the meta was open and thought Icelander and Ultim. I was guilty of this. I didn't think Ultim was, was as good as it is. You know, people were guilty of this, of being like, Dynasty's introduced this. This has put this back on the table. And, and to a degree, it did, right? Like, heroes like Dash, I think, came back on the table. But let's, let's be honest. Arachne, not really on the table, is it? You know, like, these heroes that people were showing up with Lexi, I think is another one where it has been somewhat of a winner and, and we've seen these lists sort of grow and, and, and diversify and be interesting in this meta. But for the most part, the meta didn't really change that much from the world championships. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I mean, I was just trying to get your take. So, well, you got a hot take from me. There you go. I, I, <laughs> a little bit of an outburst there, but <laughs> All right, Brendan. I think that's 
us for now. We're obviously going to see we're going into the final week of ProQuest season. This band spend announcement does not impact that, but we will get our first chance to see what this means for the game when we get to Indianapolis next weekend. And then, of course, we we move into Outsiders. So it's going to be really interesting. This format isn't going to get solved before we get to Outsiders because we only have one major event. And then we, we uh, that's not true. We also have Auckland calling as well. So we do have two two bigger callings, but then we we move through into this Outsiders season. But the, the format isn't going to get solved in these next four weeks before uh, we, we see Outsiders come into the format uh, or the I guess the end of the competitive season for prior to Outsiders. So interesting. Let's... <clears throat> Finish on some takes then in terms of if you're now getting ready to test for Indianapolis, what are the first things you're looking at? Like, where do you start? Like, you know, let's let's give some people a bit of a hand here. Like, what Me do you personally even do? Or, well, or if I was if a, you were, a if you were. smart person? Um, okay, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, not so, you personally. No, but legitimately, though, if I was looking at Indianapolis, I would think that people are going to be quite flustered from a uh, banner restricted announcement that has been this monumental, right? It's, it's four cards and it's four very significant cards. So because of that and because of my prior sort of experience with Kano, I would likely bring that deck because I think that people's sideboard, sideboards, uh, sideboard slots are going to be packed tied, right? They got to prepare for a lot of things. Um, they don't know what's going to show up on the day. So I would, I would probably pick Kano just off of that. I think it would be powerful enough. That being said, you know, prior to that, like, let's say prior to this ban, I probably would be bringing Icelander to Indianapolis. There's no way I would do that now, to be honest. Like, I think that there's going to be an abundance of aggro decks. I think a lot of people are going to be picking Briar back up. A lot of people are just going to be playing Fi anyway. And I do think that Old Him will show up, but I don't think that the perfect version of Old Him will show up, you know? I think that people are, it's going to take time for people to learn how to build Old Him correctly in that meta. And I think that, you know, the aggro decks are going to be pretty freaking tuned, you know? While the, the Old Him decks are going to be... There might be some people on the right list, but I think there's going to be quite a spread on Old Him, and it's not going to be as powerful. So I would look to find a deck that can target those aggro decks you're either you you can pick up briar yourself like that's not a bad decision to be to, to be honest at all but uh yeah you wouldn't find me playing like a mid-range deck or anything like that but me personally i, I would play kano because i know that people would they would not be prepared for it they'd be trying to prepare for everything except kano maybe this this podcast would influence that but you know it, it, if we had not said that that's what i would play <laughs> do you want a realistic answer now or <laughs> can yeah, yeah no i think it's it, so where I would start, first of all, is before I even start to think about what I'm going to play, the, where I would start is I would go and I would pick up Ultim, I would put my Titan's Fist in there, and I would just play some games. And I would just take some of the winning lists from this past weekend, these proactive lists, and be like, how much is this impact of Winter's Well loss actually impacting the game? Because that's the thing. I, I don't know, Brendan. Like, you know, we talked about it. Yes, maybe, no. And obviously, you might need to tweak some of your blues to make sure that you can... Uh, make sure you hit that that criteria but i don't think that's too hard for titan's fist go and play some games what does that feel like that's where i'm personally going to start and then the next thing is icelander i'm gonna do the same thing with icelander i'm gonna remove my hypothermis remove my amulet of ice i'm gonna play into some aggro decks how does it feel i'm gonna find out those i want that information because that information is really important to understanding is icelander still viable and is it going to show up is ultim in its current form still viable and going to show up if the answer is no to both of those then yeah the, the meta starts to really shift and be impacted right the next thing i then go is okay what do i think is just the most powerful thing in this format my natural inclination would be moving back to briar for instance can i then beat fatigue ultimate for instance let's play some games that would be like kind of my journey i would go on and i would just try and keep it you know if time is of the essence right there's this event's happening in what nine days ten days you probably need to have your deck sorted in the next nine days so i, I would probably like four or five games of ultimate to you know icelander and briar and dash as it currently looks like for instance and then uh 
same thing for Icelander, I think, and then and then make some decisions from there. But yeah, I think regardless, some people are going to do that. A lot of people aren't going to do that. That's why I'm giving this advice. I think it's a good place to start. You can find out a lot of information really quickly. A lot of people aren't going to do that. They're just going to say, okay, aggro format, like you say, right? Uh, Briar is mm-hmm. back on the table. More Briar. So naturally, Briar increases. Bi maybe stays the same slight drop with loss of belittle. Icelander drops. Ulta maybe takes a slight drop, moves defensive. And, uh, you know, you see some other decks. Dromai maybe stay, takes a little bit of a rise. So then what do you do on the back of that? You, you can just, you can theorize it, right? You can do some theory or you can get in there and you can play a few games with what knowledge is already there and try and work out what that means. And I think if you have the time, I think it's worth doing it. Sounds good. Or just play Kano, whatever. <laughs> no, I think that Kano is a good pick. And, yeah, uh, and no, I'm, like not a, it's not. I'm not saying it's not. It's just like I such, think... people at Indy are going to be so flustered, you know? Like, and I think a lot of people are going to pick up the aggro deck and play it. And that might mean they're be a lot of briars of Spellvoid too, which is maybe reason not to bring Kano, but you know, Kano could be strong in a, in a meta like that. But yeah, I think, the, it, you know, honestly, Hayden, if I was looking at Indianapolis, I would go check out that Arsenal Pass YouTube channel, check out that Brody deck tech sub to the Patreon, I get everything I need to pick up a deck and be successful in Indianapolis. <laughs> hey, not a bad shout. What about, <laughs> let's, here's a question for you on Kano, just, you know, just quick sidebar before we wrap up. More or, okay, so if there was, this ban did not happen, Versus it's happening now. Is there going to be more or less Oasis's copies of Oasis being played in decks at Indianapolis next weekend? Because I would say uh, more. Yeah, <laughs> I think more. Uh, maybe because Oasis is maybe it depends, right? Because um, we saw we saw them cutting Oasis anyway uh, uh, towards the end. So it depends on how defensive these ultimate decks can get away with, and if these I you know Jeremiah's are coming in to beat up on them. Um, I would. I, I'm not overly concerned about Oasis, right? Because if, if the Olden decks, like let's say you, someone picks up Olden, they pack in the Oasis and they're just like, I'm super defensive. That strategy is very beatable for Kano. It's like when they're a tempo deck, uh, like, a, <clears throat> like a kind of proactive Olden deck that's like also going to Oasis or Spite, and you know usually they have to draw into it at the right time then yeah that's annoying but sometimes it's just bad beats as kano like an old team can't just sit there with an oasis in their arsenal all freaking game and just not do anything right not activate their crown of seeds and just wait for that time so usually the old decks that are hurting you the most of the oasis are the ones that are playing proactive and just drawing it at the correct at the correct time in my opinion so i think that yeah if it's if it's ultra defensive old with oasis it's beatable for kano we just need some brushing up on cool all right well that's going to do it for episode 94 of Arsenal Pass. A look at this latest band, suspended announcement. Big changes coming. Excited to see what happens in Indianapolis next weekend. Excited to get into a little bit of testing. Well, I say excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know next week. Uh, getting some games in it and see how we go. If you want to follow us on Twitter, Brendan is at BrendanAPG. I'm at Fian underscore Dale. Massive shout out to all of Arsenal Pass patrons. And uh, Brendan, until next week, we will see you in the next episode. See ya.